Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, and I am joined by my co-host, Eddie Webb. Hello. And no Dixie Cochran. Hello. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Dixie saw the uh, title of this episode and wisely ran in the opposite direction. Uh, <laughs> no, we, uh, we uh, actually said, you know, Dixie, hey, do you want a week off? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I think she's been on like literally every Pathcast episode at this point. Yeah, yeah, I think I think she may well have. Um, minus I've maybe missed a couple. couple you missed a couple, but yeah, I th- maybe even the interviews she wasn't present for. She was probably involved in the intro and outro, right? So yeah, we finally kicked you out. <laughs> <laughs> 151 uh, episodes later, yeah, and the secret <laughs> formula was wrestling all along. <laughs> should have guessed around episode two, to be honest, that that would have done really? the job. Yeah, uh, but no, uh, because wrestling is very much uh, the bailiwick of Eddie and myself in terms mm-hmm. of fandoms, enthusiasm, and so on. And we didn't want Dixie to feel like uh, she had to be here while we wax lyrical about characters like Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase and more obscure wrestlers like Mantar. Um, oh my god. Who we will, I'm sure, get onto. But <laughs> we do have a character in NWE, which is another subject we'll cover. Uh, this is our wrestling role playing game that's a part of the Aberrant universe, uh, only tangentially part, uh, but we'll get onto it. Who is called Mantaro. Uh, right. I, I think there's some links there to Mantar, but yeah. Uh, if there were too strong a link to it, it would be they came from the squared circle, and uh, we're not going Ooh. there quite yet. Yes, well, you know, <laughs> they came from beneath the squared circle would be like a Doink the Clown thing. Uh, see, Or, I mean, also you could even do like, um, what if all of the like supernatural weird stuff in wrestling uh, uh, storylines was actually real? Which, again, to some degree, it is in NWE, which... Oh, uh, right. Uh, but, yeah, uh, they came from behind gorilla position. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. any listeners right now who aren't at all familiar with professional wrestling or sports entertainment, pal, probably won't know what any of what I'm talking about. So let's get back to basics. Let's talk okay. about uh, let's talk about professional wrestling and our enthusiasm for it. So let's start with you, Eddie, as the aged veteran, <laughs> the, the wily veteran who is putting the uh, young jobbers through their paces. Yeah, one last match. Exactly. Uh, what was it that got you into wrestling? Uh, so really, I got in wrestling probably at the uh the the so-called golden age of wwf wwe i was like early to mid 80s um this was you know when hulk hogan was a big thing when um andrea giant was a big thing uh uh, i watched it when i could it was not something that the rest of my family was particularly into um but whenever I, you know, see it at a friend's house or I happen to catch it when I was home, uh, I watch it. I also was of the age where I would watch things like um, rock and wrestling cartoon and mm-hmm. find that enjoyable. Uh, but I, I did drop off pretty quick. I, I remember vaguely that um, uh, when um, a Sergeant Slaughter came back as a villain is kind of when I think I dropped out. Yeah, he was. That was a poor, poor angle. Uh, the Sergeant Slaughter is an Iraqi sympathizer, 
uh, mm-hmm. during the Gulf War. One could even call it an exploitative angle to uh, to use an ongoing war as fuel for a wrestling storyline. But yeah, uh, but exploitation is a big part of the wrestling industry, for better or worse, probably worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so I, I dropped that for a while, and then um, when I uh, started dating my now wife Michelle, she was also really into it. But she got in; she's a little, she's like a few years older than me, so she got in a little earlier than me. Um, so she was much more into the uh, um, territorial area era, late seventies wrestling. Uh, and then we both got in around the late nineties, like just when the Monday Night Wars were wrapping up. Yeah. Um we we were watching WCW and WWE. Um we watched when the world was stunned when Vince McMahon bought WCW. Um and we've been watching pretty consistently ever since when David joins our family, he started watching wrestling and there've been times when we've maybe not watched it month week to week. Um there's been times where we watch it like Every day, and there's times when like, a few weeks go by, oh, we should probably check to see what's going on. But we wrestling has always been a part of our life for now, over 25 years. Oh, oh that's excellent. I mean, I've um, I first got into it much around the same time as you, to be honest. The early 90s, uh, I, I was only a kid, but mm-hmm. I would go over my uh, cousin's house, and I think I'd seen WCW worldwide. I think was maybe the name of the show on Saturday afternoons in the UK, and they were... You would generally get one decent match, and the rest would all be um, squash matches. Right. Uh, and I remember one of the first wrestlers I saw was Sting and uh, and Big Van Vader uh, up against Dustin Rhodes and that kind of thing. And then I'd go over to my cousin's house, and they had loads of videos of WWF pay-per-views. And the first pay-per-view I saw, I I know my memory is foggy on this because I saw all of these in sort of close uh, proximity to each other. It must have been either Survivor Series 1990 or WrestleMania 8, which was a couple of years later, or Royal Rumble 92, uh, which is arguably the best Royal Rumble. And definitely mm-hmm. uh, a, a decent pay-per-view to get into wrestling with Ric Flair winning the Royal Rumble. I was about to say, that's one of the Flair one, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, which uh, Vince McMahon hated. Uh, he he really? thought, yeah, uh, he thought it was uh, dreadful. Apparently, <laughs> uh, wow. which is contrary to what most fans think. But as Vince McMahon says, um, you don't know what you like. I'll tell you what you like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I got into wrestling around then, but from memory, uh, because we never had uh, satellite television or cable in my family home, so it would only ever be when I went over my cousin's house that I got to see wrestling. And as they went off of wrestling, I, of course, stopped being able to see it there. And I don't think that new generation era, the mid-90s, was really broadcast over in the UK. So over in the mid-90s, I didn't see much of anything, which may have been a mercy because wrestling wasn't very good at that point. There's some amazing storylines and most of them utterly batshit, but yeah. like the Dungeon of Doom with the Yeti and his buggering Hulk Hogan and the Giants in Halloween Havoc 95, 
<laughs> if you've not seen right. I'll post a link to that video in the show notes. Uh, but <laughs> but I did get back into it with the Attitude Era. My cousins were yep. getting back into it then. I remember watching around the time everything was getting very faction warlike in 1997 uh, with uh, Disciples of Apocalypse and Los Bariquas and Nation of Domination and all these other factions of wrestlers that started introducing popular characters like uh, Triple H as a main, well, semi-main event, uh, The Rock. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the Attitude Era really exploded. And I stuck with it for the most part until the early 2000s. Kind of went off of it and now largely just watch AEW, uh, which uh, isn't a reflection on the performance of any WWE wrestlers, I think. They are among the best in the world, of course, but it's uh, more an objection to the company of WWE uh, than I I appreciate how AEW treats its contractors uh, and how it treats its performers, essentially, the atmosphere it gives, and it generally has a more contemporary feel. I think it interacts with its audience. It has a more positive outlook. Uh, People genuinely seem to enjoy working there. And they put that on display in a way that I think a lot of corporations in other industries do. It it reminds me almost of, I guess, the way Marvel uh, movies are compared to how DC movies are. Uh, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of DC than I am of Marvel, but I can't deny that Marvel is more switched on to its fan base than DC is. And Mm. that's how I kind of see AEW when compared to WWE's DC. But anyway, that's a rambling... Well, I mean, no, but I mean, it's... uh, I'm completely with you on the same page. I mean, I was actually a WWE apologist for the last couple of years um, because apologist in the sense of I thought it was a good quality product. Um, and a lot of friends like, no, AEW is the best. And there was a point when AEW was just starting All Elite Wrestling, for those of you who don't know. Um, All Elite Wrestling was was created by uh, uh, Cody Rhodes and a few of his friends uh, as, as an alternative to WWE. And it got some uh, heavy investment um, from uh, uh, Tony Khan, who's a, a super rich man. Uh, and now they have a TNT show and web show and all that. Um, but one of the things that they do is... Uh, that they had things like profit sharing and they allow people to um, get a good a large chunk of their merchandise sales, which is a lot of a wrestler's revenue um, and things like insurance uh, and, and some creative control. So there's a lot of things from a business end that are very, very compelling to AEW. And I thought that's really cool, but I, I just preferred the WWE product for a long time. But um, uh, long story short, some of the political decisions WWE have made or not made um, have soured me in the product. For example, uh, Donald Trump is still in the Hall of Fame on yeah. WWE. Um, there are some people who have been repeatedly outed as having strong racist views that are still given prominent positions in Brother. WWE. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, also uh, just things like uh, recently they have said that if, if you work for WWE, um, you can't monetize yourself on things like Twitch. Uh, and they're much like our industry, a lot of wrestlers in professional wrestling are contractors. They're freelancers. They're not employees. Mm. Um, like whereas professional sports players are usually employees of the teams. 
Um, that's not true in wrestling and wrestling. Uh, they go through much more intense and, and physically damaging uh, uh, day after day, week after week in a way where sports teams have time to recover from that, that, that wrestlers just don't have. Um, so taking away you know, a, a, an avenue for them to make money without putting their bodies on the line was just, that was like one of many things that was, like, that was the final straw, but it was, all, it was building up to, we were already probably going to drop it. And then that happened. And I was just like, okay, as a contractor, I just really find that to be on top of everything else, really hard to swallow. So, um, uh, but to go back to the point, I mean, that doesn't mean I don't have a love for a lot of, even the current WWE wrestlers, some of the past WWE wrestlers, um, because especially because they're contractors, I can have that divide. I think a little more easily in my head than other media conducts. Yeah. Uh, well, I think there's, um, uh, you can't deny the WWE's innovations, uh, that some of Vince McMahon and his executive strategies make a hell of a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got to give credit to the WWE for things like the Royal Rumble, for the Elimination Chamber, which is very popular now, yep. uh, for uh, pioneering an awful lot of match concepts, gimmicks, uh, put, making a lot of characters who were basically nothing before they arrived and turning them into superstars, which is what they call wrestlers. They don't call mm-hmm. them wrestlers, they call them superstars. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> And as I mentioned earlier, it's sports entertainment. They don't call it wrestling right. either. But on the other hand, uh, uh, and well, and likewise, I I absolutely understand why WWE has the attitude of we don't mention the competition. They have this Coca-Cola attitude that as soon as you mention the competition, you're essentially losing your share because you're acknowledging the rest of the world exists. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Coke never talks about Pepsi. And... So WWE won't talk about AEW on TV unless it's specifically part of an angle where they want to have some edgy WWE superstar breaking the fourth wall of kayfabe, that's wrestling language, um, by saying, I should just go over the road to AEW to get a rise out of the crowd. It's a kind of cheap heat. Right. Um, But, you know, I, I understand that. I understand that from a corporate perspective. But I also think that these days, enough of the audience can see through that, uh, are so aware of the way that the industry works, that it's a level of kayfabe or, I guess, corporate, um, uh, I guess, opaqueness that doesn't really need to exist anymore. All it does is serve to insult your viewers' intelligence and make your wrestlers look a bit like goofs uh, because, you know, that they, um, what is it uh, Vince McMahon says, you don't have uh, the WWE, I may, may be wrong on this one, something like you can't have WWE championships because that implies that uh, there are other companies, so it's just, it's the world championship, it's the US title, yes, US mm-hmm. title, he doesn't call them belts, he hates the word belt. Uh, because they're not used to hold your pants up, so they are just titles. It there's in so wrestling has its in-universe parlance, kayfabe, and WWE right. has its own in-in-universe parlance, which only applies to the setting of WWE, right? Which ties it nicely to role playing mm-hmm. in a way, 
because everyone who role plays knows what a D10 or a D20 is. But uh, so if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, you might know what a fighter is. But if you want to get into Planescape, uh, you're not going to know what a dustman is, or the bleak cabal, are, or the play of the plane of Acheron is, unless you play Planescape as an example. Right. So it kind of silos it off rather than saying, "Hey, we're broad, we're generic, we are accessible to everybody." Uh, yeah, I mean, similar. Um, like, uh, there's some language that has evolved around tabletop role playing games as an industry we generally recognize: a uh, game master, player character, non-player character. Yeah, and uh, our games, for example, are pretty common about changing up a lot of those languages to suit the tone and tenor of what we need. Uh, so, like, we call them uh, uh, st- story guides. We call them, you know, story guide characters. Uh, and I have seen people at tables, even our people who work on these books, will colloquially, you know, GM, NPC, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, so so I, I I I'm with you in the sense that I I see why Vince would say things like the terminology is important because it gets into people's heads and sets a certain tone. It's like, I, I do agree with that on a, on a high level creative direction. This is a thing that gets seems silly, but is actually more important than a lot of people give it credit for kind of tone. Mm. Um, uh, and so like, if you are trying to take your professional wrestling company and turn it into a media company, then it absolutely makes sense to call those people superstars it makes sense to refer to as wrestling entertainment and sports entertainment because at the end of the day you're not a sport you're a media company and you need to get people to constantly reinforce that media forward language which sounds very corporate as it comes out of my mouth but it that's that's the kind of things that you think about yeah it doesn't mean it's not true it it may be unpalatable but it's still it's still true from a from the perspective of shareholders uh, if you want to look at it as a marketable entity and not just a company people go to to watch wrestling. And I think right. um, Vince McMahon at some point said, so Vince McMahon, to anyone unfamiliar, is the guy who has run the WWE, formerly WWF, since the mid-80s, mm-hmm. uh, early 80s, taking over from his father, also called Vince McMahon. Uh, not the same guy reincarnated or given some kind of rejuvenating serum, although I may be wrong. I would believe that. Yeah, his grandfather (laughs) may have also been called Vince McMahon. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. Um, But, yeah, uh, I can... I, I understand it. And he once, in an interview with Steve Austin, a former... A professional wrestler, a lot of people will be aware of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. That you know that you were in segments with me, pal, where you were in the ring playing the guitar and singing. You were in segments where you were spraying me with milk from a milk truck. You were in segments in a hospital ward where you were hitting me over the head with a bedpan. That isn't wrestling. That's entertainment, right. which is why I call the people that work here sports entertainers because you are entertainers. You can do lots of things. You can tell jokes. You can be in romance skits. You can do all kinds of things. It's not all about fighting. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas when AEW was setting up a couple of years ago, they pitched themselves as being more sports-based. They said that they would have sort of league tables with wins, draws, and losses, and they still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we can essentially rank uh, the the wrestlers on the show and see who's been performing the best within their scripted environment. 
and that uh, that the sports entertainment side of WWE would very much be falling to the side. But AEW has shown through its two-year evolution that the sports-based wrestling show doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> uh, or it right. can't exist at a top tier, because AEW's viewership recently exceeded a million uh, for like one of only a few times. And this is a show that has Mike Tyson as a special guest enforcer outside the uh, ring who punches mm-hmm. one of the wrestlers out. It's a show where you have wrestling matches where you've got to throw people through arcade machines to win it or into a big vat of orange mimosas or something <laughs> like that. So uh, you you quickly lose the the scales of it being sports based when right. you start examining the product and you realize well this is just like WWE it's just they appear to be a better company in terms of i guess ethos and mm-hmm. contractor treatment uh, and as you say the uh, the ability to give wrestlers creative control or to improvise promos that they they might cut before a match, that sort of thing. That's all great, uh, as long as egos don't prevail. And you will start getting people refusing to lose to this particular wrestler, or you'll get people who are who who are really bad at speaking but insist on coming out every single week to cut a promo. And you know, then you've got to have some kind of direction and management. So it's it's a fine balance. But right now, I think AEW does it better. I find it more entertaining than WWE. Mm-hmm. And and that, that evolution again, I think maps to tabletop role playing games because um, uh, I'm going to use some terminology from uh, uh, GNS theory. But um, in, in the '70s and early '80s, a lot of tabletop role playing games were simulationist and to a large degree gamist. They were somewhat competitive. Mm. Um, and so therefore the simulationists had to be a little more rigorous because player versus player conflict was not only on the table, but to a certain degree expected. Uh, and so that there's your kind of sports analog. It has to be relatively fair and relatively rigorous with well orchestrated rules. And the story is important, but not as relevant as the competitive aspects of it because it came from wargaming. Yeah, and then over time, um, more and more of the entertainment elements got emphasized throughout the tabletop role playing games industry. And then we get into you know early nineties White Wolf, around the same time period. You know, uh, entertainment makes a huge spike, and it's like you know we, we, we need these competitive elements of tabletop role playing games. We're just here to have fun, even though Vampire the Masquerade still has some lingering elements, and it's even its system or uh, setting design of that kind of player versus player elements again it's 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 not a complete changeover there's that kind of half step in there yeah um it's not until you get into like apocalypse that's like no seriously we're all on the same page and all generally working towards a common goal uh and and i don't it doesn't denigrate man by the mass grave but it shows that there is is a long evolution that we now you look back and you go oh why did we play games this way and i have seen like the OSR movement, for example, um, the old school renaissance, where they tried to play games in the style of the 70s and 80s. But even then, that is a neo 
uh, uh, retro approach. It's not a direct retro approach. They, they do modernize in bits and places, sometimes to the designer's taste rather than a particular common design ethos, but the rules are a little more streamlined. The competitive elements are downplayed a little bit. Um, some of the clunkier parts are just kind of smoothed away. And so you're, you're, you're tapping into particular elements of that, but it's not exactly the same thing. So again, AEW tried to get that sports-based thing, but the ship has sailed. We don't look at wrestling that way anymore. Yeah. And so at a certain point in time, it's like, okay, well then I guess we need to find a hybrid approach. And over the past couple of years, the hybrid approach has become something that is not identical to WWE in any stretch of imagination. Like we both said, we think it's a superior product, but if you are a fan of WWE and you look at AEW now, you see more of what you expect to see in a wrestling show than you would have two years ago. Yeah. I think a lot of people, of course, poo-poo the idea of wrestling program or wrestling in general because of course it's pre-scripted or sometimes it's improvised on the fly in the ring but mm -hmm. the conclusion is usually determined beforehand in fact i think it would be safe to say it's always determined unless there's mm -hmm. a vocal crowd reaction to the contrary but even then yeah. Or an injury or something else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but even yeah, even in the case of an injury, usually if, uh, there have been cases where someone has been paralyzed in the ring, but because they were booked to finish, the mm -hmm. person who is uh, scripted to lose will take a very silly bump on the ring and then pretty much drag the paralyzed person over their body. It's awful. It's it's ridiculous, utterly stupid, and yet it is. It's a kind of it's it's in the genetic code of wrestling that right. uh, the, exactly. the kind of the show must go on. Um, um, so as uh, I mean, originally advertised, which is it, disturbing and wrestling games are kind of in a weird but, um, juxtaposition of yeah. that, right? Um, I know when I was first starting out as a designer, um, I didn't have the design language partially because it was still being formed um, because academic study of game design wasn't really seriously uh, looked at until probably about 15 years ago. Um, and partially because I just didn't have any other exposure to other language that would be useful. So I ended up using a lot of wrestling terminology to describe game design mm. uh, because there is such a strong level. You know, like, you know, the idea of, um, kayfabe uh where you know what's happening in the rings has its own kind of reality and you don't break that reality inside that that space yeah um the the idea that you know that that's where metagaming is to a degree it's like you know um it was seen for a long time as something you don't do and early in my career that was something i kind of believed as well is that we don't break the illusion that this is a game that we're collaboratively making we try to tr play these things as straight as possible. And now both wrestling and game design, you know, there, there's some value to taking those outside perspectives and leveling them into the experience like AEW. Um, they're very explicit about putting videos online and referencing um, those videos and also fan reactions and fan content um, that will sometimes explicitly break kayfabe. But WWE does this now more too. Um, but like if something tragic happens, they'll just stop the story and address that yeah. um, particularly uh, uh, most commonly, sadly um, when wrestlers pass on um, they'll, they'll, they'll like, Oh, that, if that person was a notorious heel and they die, it's like, we're not going to do horrible things about them. Um, or like when uh, Roman Reigns, for example, uh, became, went public with his leukemia diagnosis. Um, a lot of storylines around him just stopped because it's like, we're not gonna 
beat up the guy who has cancer. Well, that, that's an interesting example because I'm fairly certain. I, I agree with you. I think for the most part, WWE has been decent like that. But I remember with Roman Reigns when he was uh, fighting leukemia, they had John Moxley's character of the time mm-hmm. uh, coming out in a gas mask, and basically his entire gimmick was he didn't want to be around Roman Reigns anymore because he was ill and he might catch it. And uh, John Moxley was True. so disgusted with it, he ended up leaving the company. But, That's right. Yeah, the, that part. The, well, but but it's it's a good good example of you know some companies and some games can push <laughs> uh, poor taste in that regard. Um, True. But, but one, one thing, um, obviously, uh, there may be some people who listen to this who, as I mentioned, they may think wrestling is stupid because it's all pre-scripted. It yeah, of course it is. It's like a <laughs> pantomime. It's like a live-action role-play. It's like any other TV show with fight sequences in. Of course it's all choreographed. Of course no one intends to get hurt, just like when stuntmen jump around on screen. But yeah. uh, it is no different than Game of Thrones or Star Trek or any other TV series where people are telling a storyline that is resolved with a big fight. Uh, right. It just so happens that it's presented in a very camp way, if if we're perfectly honest, with yeah. the costumes, with the oiled up bodies, with the uh, with a balletic uh, method by which they're resolving their disputes. Um, so yeah, I, I completely understand why some people look at that and think this isn't for me, uh, but it still it aggravates me sometimes. And I'm not the biggest wrestling fan in the world. I have a fair amount of wrestling knowledge, but there's a lot in recent wrestling that I dislike. Uh, but it still irritates me when people dismiss it out of hand as, well, it's all fake. It's all made up. I don't know why. I know there's plenty of people like that who really get up in arms when someone says it's fake and they'll say it's real to me. Damn it. So I've been thinking about this a lot recently and actually, uh, uh, unintentionally a little bit this morning. Um, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that people have a, I think people have a fundamental cognitive distance when it comes to reality television. Cause really professional wrestling is reality TV. Okay. These things are generally, these people are more or less, as you see them on the screen, they're, they're, they're heightened versions of themselves, but they are basically who they are. Um, and they are the, the moves they're making genuinely require athletic skill. Mm. Um, but the way it's uh, uh, choreographed, the way it's cut together, the way that everything is, is scripted, reality television works exactly the same way. Um, I have found a couple of times when people say things like, you know, we realize it's all fake. It's like, yeah, so is The Bachelor. And they get really pissed in much the same way that wrestling fans get pissed. Yeah. Because you don't want to think that when you're watching it, when you're in the moment and watching on TV, I think a lot of reality TV fans intellectually recognize that it's a scripted television and edited television, but part of them wants to believe it's, it's really happening. That's, that's the appeal. That's the allure of, mm. of reality TV. You want to believe that the Great British, British Bake Off is a genuinely authentic contest between people, but you realize on some level that that's not what's really happening. Yeah, I mean, it's so coincidental. Cameras are always in the right place at the right time. But yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you can you can 
apply that the same logic to pretty much any sporting event where there's a disparity in like team records. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if I'm over here in the UK watching a football match between a decent, decentish team like let's go for Manchester United because most people know who they are, and mm-hmm. a small team like I don't know, uh, we'll go for Salisbury FC. I mm-hmm. know, I know what the outcome is going to be. It doesn't mean I'm not going to become invested in it. If I right. if I watch it and I see Salisbury are playing with a bit of pluck and are really trying their hardest to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and usually wrestling storylines or any TV storyline follows that trend. You know, if a, in a David versus Goliath thing, Goliath is going to trounce David until David does something different. And that's the basis of any, uh, any wrestling or any simple TV storyline, really underdogs, uh, coming up from the bottom to win. Yeah, somewhere like um, uh, I don't watch a lot of rugby when I was living in Ireland. Uh, I, I started watching it because it was on TV, and Michelle um, and I got really invested in Six Nations. Uh, this was 2017, um, where Ireland was not slated to have a decent chance to win that competition. Mm. And so, well, we're in Ireland, so we're in route for, for the Irish team, of course, because you know that's, that's currently our home country. Um, and they won; they pulled it off, uh, and it was exciting because it was like, oh my god, that. that the thing we didn't expect to happen, and of course, you know, unsurprisingly, the the uh, England Ireland game was particularly heated, yeah, um, because of the the outside, you know, uh, uh, the meta game, if you will, the the, the uh, cultural context around that particular match off. Uh, every year, there's a huge heightened awareness of that t- uh, match off, um, but so it was exciting because of, like th- it was the reaction you didn't expect happened, um, and that's one thing that's is odd about professional wrestling is because the unexpected happening becomes the expected. Uh, uh, there's it, 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 cause it's like when you're watching a television show, um, here's a perfect example. Uh, 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 season two of Sherlock um, spoilers for the end of season two of BBC Sherlock Sherlock Holmes falls off a building, right? Um, it is the most notorious cliffhanger in Western literature. <laughs> Holmes survives spoilers for a, a story that's 175 fucking years old, but Holmes does not die after falling off Reichenbach falls. Um, and I had people mad at me when I brought this up, when that show aired, it's like, I'm curious what they'll do in season three and you know, how they're going to bring him back. It's like, how do you know they're going to bring him back? It's like, okay, setting aside that this is an established thing. The show is called Sherlock. They're not going to kill the character named Sherlock when the show is called Sherlock. It's basic <laughs> TV etiquette or, or understanding of how TV works, right? You know, they're not going to kill Captain Kirk in Star Trek, no matter what, how much danger is in. Doctor Who is always going to get out of, you know, whatever situation she or he is in. Um, that's just how TV works. And wrestling is the same way. It's like if two people who are bad guys are suddenly working together in a certain time period, they're going to betray each other. That's just how wrestling works. So you're not looking at if they're going to betray each other, it's when and how. Yeah, almost every single tag team at some point has a tag team breakup angle, a storyline where one of the members of the tag team decides I'm better off going on my own. And it's usually the heel, the bad guy. Uh, So Mm -hmm. one of the tag team members decides I'm going to take this payout from evil manager X kind of thing uh, because I can make it on my own. And then what the interesting outcome is for the viewer 
and it's somewhat like playing with fate, uh, the fates of the wrestlers, is typically only one of those wrestlers goes on to great success. It's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's one of those, it's almost unexpected outcomes uh, of wrestling. It's when the tag team inevitably busts up, which one of those is going to go up to the next level and which one of them is going to languish and be referred to as the tag team guy who isn't in a tag team anymore, so we can't really do anything right. with him anymore. And and then that's that's kind of my point is that um if you t- if if you recognize those tropes um and if you do them well you can elevate it uh, so my my go to on the tag team storyline is um an NXT um uh, there's a tag team called DIY that was hot mm. they everyone loved them they were great um it was uh, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa uh, and Ciampa turned on Gargano and said okay well here's a tag team breakup but they did that feud for two years and it was hot and neither of them was above the other, even though Gargano was off camera for like nine months with an injury at one point. Um, he came back white hot and the, the, and they had legendary matches yeah. uh, for, for on pay-per-views for years. Um, and that showed that you can do that story. Well, it's not the story that's fundamental. the problem is how you do it and how you manage that storyline. And they did, they played it slow. They did it very carefully. Like, you know, when the betrayal happened, then uh, I think it was uh, Gargano was going to injured for a couple of months. Um, and so to, gave Tommaso a chance to kind of expound on his reasons without any context, without any kind of, being cut off uh, and built himself as character. And right then uh, uh, Johnny comes back and then because he's the heel, you don't need as much time to build up his character because it's basically just a continuation of his original character. Um, and then they do some conflicts, but then they give, uh, um, they do a lots of the, are they going to get back together again? And they put them in situations where they have to work together. And then they look like maybe they're going to do the tag team move. And they don't, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was done really, really, really well. Um, so, I mean, again, with, with, with tabletop role-playing games, it's like, um, there was a, a Twitter thread a while back about uh, a, a, someone suggested occasionally it's okay to kill your player characters because they'll never expect it. Um, it was received badly uh, because one of the unspoken rules we have down tabletop games is that the player characters, the protagonists, we generally don't want to kill them. And some games now kind of make it really hard to do that uh, so you don't accidentally kill characters because there are certainly games that exist now where you can just accidentally kill PCs if you follow the rules. Um, like our games, generally, you have to intentionally kill a character, or a player has to buy into, yeah, my character's going to die here. But you just don't do that. Yeah. Um, and the argument that happened was, well, then the players don't feel any threat. And it's like, again, media doesn't work that way. Um, they shouldn't be fearing for their lives unless it's specifically, okay, we're playing a horror game up front there's a strong chance characters may die because that's the kind of game you're playing. It's a survival horror thing that you're buying into a very specific mode of play. Um, and so it's not killing characters makes everyone fear for their lives. It's that killing characters means players will stop taking risks and risks are fun. So you have to look into, okay, what is actually happening here and take those tropes and build on them well, rather than arbitrarily breaking them. Wrestling is its own set of tropes now. And going back to the AEW reference, um, AEW tried to break those tropes, realized it wasn't working, and said, okay, so let's lean into those tropes again, but let's do it intelligently, and let's find new ways of doing that. Let's do it, do it smarter. Oh, yeah, yeah. It still finds... It's still trying to find its feet in some ways, because early on they said, we're not going to have faces and heels. So right. in wrestling parlance, well, that means good guys and bad guys. White hats, black hats. Um, but... And, and they've continued with that vein for the most part. You've got some characters who are, I guess, tweeners, but 
not in the edgy, stone-cold Steve Austin fighting against authority and anyone else that comes for them kind of a way. It's just that sometimes they will position themselves as good guys, sometimes they'll position themselves as bad guys. Mm. And they are getting broadly criticised for that. It, it's interesting as a viewer because people, when they heard we're not going to have faces and heels anymore... A lot of people were, oh, well, thanks, you're treating us as if we're intelligent, and we appreciate that. But upon watching it, you're finding yourself getting confused, because a big part of enjoying wrestling is rooting for someone, or wishing for someone to fail. Mm -hmm. And when you don't know which side someone is on from one week to the next, that can either be interesting chaos... Or it can just be very frustrating chaos. <laughs> and so AEW with um, some tag teams like the Young Bucks right now, as an example, mm-hmm. have been going backwards and forwards. And Chris Jericho have been going backwards and forwards so many times that it's um, it, it ends up losing the viewer because you end up thinking, you know what, I can't engage with this anymore. I need to know whether this person is a face or a heel. And it and refreshingly, it kind of proves an historic wrestling point that you need faces and heels. You need mm-hmm. good guys and bad guys because it's a very simple narrative device. And most people who tune into wrestling just want simple enjoyment. They're not and... watching it to get in-depth. Uh, they're not trying to get into in-depth, convoluted storylines. Right. And it's interesting because there are two different extremes of that problem that have been, you know, we're on air and we're popular. Um, So it's interesting that this is a problem still. Uh, On the one hand, um, in Lucha Libre, uh, not only are faces and heels uh, a very clear thing, but also they're coded and enshrined as such. They're explicitly called rudos and technicos. uh, And they're referred to that inside the ring by characters among each other. It's like, you're a Rudo, and then there's a Rudo corner and a, and a technical corner, and they're explicitly called that. Um, so the the alignments become in-game language that players use, much like D and D alignment. You know, it's like you know, lawful. You know, I, I you know, summon lawful things. Like you know, the the the, the alignment uh, scheme is something that actually characters can reference and and talk and engage with in yeah. some way. Well, I think this is why um, AEW are confused sometimes because just last week, as of time of recording. The Young Bucks had a match. Who are no, they're now heel? They're now a heel right. tag team, very arrogant and that kind of thing. You know, they'll cheat to win. And in one segment of the match, Matt Jackson, one of the Young Bucks, went over to the face corner uh, because mm-hmm. uh, most people again don't realize. Uh, just as you mentioned in Lucha, you have a face corner for the face tag yep. team, and you have a heel corner for the heel tag team. And, and, and for people who don't who watch television, don't realize this: the when on your screen, the top left corner is the face corner, the bottom right corner is the heel corner. Or the when the team has their back to you on the outside of the ring, they're the heels and the facing towards you is the face because they want to see the faces. They want to see the people they're supposed to cheer for more frequently. Yeah, and Matt Jackson in this angle goes up to the face corner for a tag, mm-hmm. not well, having forgotten in character that he is now a, a heel. So yep. he goes to tag, not looking at the person he's reaching for, and the person he's reaching for is, in fact, the, a guy on the other team. And mm-hmm. then there's this sort of scurrying away spot. It's all very funny. But that, again, it's an interesting metatextual level to, to me. But you know what? We've been talking for over 40 minutes about wrestling in general and lots of things that tie into role-playing games, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But we haven't spent a lot of time talking about NWE. 
Well, I, I, I do. Um, uh, but actually, my last comment about that will lead into NWE because um, the, other, the other version of that extreme uh, is the late lamented Lucha Underground show. Um, because Lucha Undergrounds did not have explicit faces and heels, which was a break from Lucha Libre tradition. Um, but the characters were complex and interesting, but you still knew who to, who to root for. Mm. Um, uh, so uh, the premise of it was that um, uh, there's a, a person who um, has set up this underground fighting ring, and uh, there's all sorts of these kind of crime story elements. They actually had pre-taped segments, much like a talent telenovela um so that you did this elaborate crime story happening between all these other characters they just happen to resolve their conflicts in the ring because it, it still doesn't make sense and but there's like actual like supernatural stuff going on you know people that are reincarnations <laughs> of gods are actually resting in the ring it's bonkers and amazing and wonderful um but there was no good guy or bad guy necessarily it was just you know one of the one of my favorite characters um was a guy who murdered people and put them in caskets you know and i loved him um <laughs> uh, was fantastic uh, so, um, when we designed, when I talked to you about NWE, that's one of the things, the first things I want to do is I wanted to contrast that WWE, very pop culture, this is a media franchise, our empire components, and it's all about celebrity and movie stars and millions of dollars and something that like Lucha Libre was trying to do, which is very underground, very DIY, um, uh, almost uh, a punk version of that glitzy media franchise, and it was a little more, a little more raw, a little more edgy, but it was no less real. Yeah, it was not MMA style, MMA infused, MMA flavored, but it was not the these are illegitimate competition between two people. No, it's still scripted to a large degree. Well, uh, perhaps you could. Well, what well, one thing that makes me think of is one part sort of uh, the Running Man, another part uh, mm -hmm. Slay Industries. The idea of characters yeah. who are competing, or NASCAR even, where people are competing with sponsorships slapped mm -hmm. across their backs, and uh, th there have been wrestlers who have been heavily involved in our world uh, with certain products. Um, Mach Macho Man Randy Savage, famously with Slim Jims. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's very much a big thing in NWE because it's a big thing in Aberrant. It's the part, it's the time in the world yeah. we're living in. Uh, but for anyone who is unaware of NWE and its connection to Aberrant, could you explain to listeners NWE's predecessor? Sure. Um, so in first edition Aberrant, um, much like we've been talking about, uh, it was done in the late 90s or 2000s, and uh, that was still the last days of WCW, which is based here in Atlanta, um, and White Wolf offices were based in Atlanta. So there's naturally a strong wrestling fandom amongst the White Wolf staffers. And so uh, in Aberrance, they saw the same things that, that we're seeing now, which is that there, there's ties to the popularity, the colorful costumes. There's, a, there's always been a strong connection between um, wrestling and superheroes. Uh, uh, and even in um, Mexico, uh, blurring between those lines um, to a very intentional degree. So they ins inserted that as the XWF, um, and they used actual some real-world wrestlers, which I believe with permission, but maybe not, um, <laughs> like Ric Flair, were put into that. And uh, they ended up doing several supplements around this. It became a, pr a pretty distinct part of Aberrant First Edition. 
Yeah. So when Rich and I and Ian were talking about Aberrant Second Edition, uh, Rich was very adamant, but no, no, this goddamn wrestling in, in Second Edition because you know, he felt like it got out of control. And to be fair, it did. Um, unless you're making a wrestling game, you really don't need several supplements about professional wrestling in your superhero game, really. Um, uh, so I saw his points, um, but uh, I. I Talked about them and I said, let me make a pitch. First of all, it should be one book. Uh, we talk about it in one place. We never talk about it again. Uh, but here are all the reasons why it connects. Uh, um, I, all the stuff I brought up. In addition, since the 90s, um, wrestling has become very much a codified media product. Uh, and superheroes have become a codified media product with things like the MCU and DC movies you talked about. Um, so the connections between those two are even closer than they were before. And they tie to the themes of first edition of the fight with celebrity, the fight of keeping a personal life. Um, where do you draw your lines? Uh, how much your powers dictate who you are? Um, and aside from all of that, one of the things that's become more visible in professional wrestling are things like um, uh, the toll it takes on your body, uh, rampant drug use and, Given that now with second edition, talents were a separate player character type because of their availability first edition, or in, in the core rulebook, I should say, there is now a divide between player character types. And the idea of I can take a drug or I can push myself harder to try to compete with these people who are very explicitly gifted genetically or uh, by, empowered by this strange accident. Uh, and what I can do can get me almost there, but never quite to that level is something that a lot of professional wrestlers struggle with today now. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, this is an interesting and compelling story. There are reasons why movies like the wrestler did really well. There's reasons why biographies like, um, uh, uh, uh blank his name, uh, mankind's McFoley's uh, uh, McFoley, McFoley's yeah. biographies sold, New York Times bestseller several times over um, because we as a culture are interested with this, this dichotomy, um, the, the price of fame, if you will. It's, it's, it's a very interesting, compelling drama. And so I said, this is not just lol, look at wrestling and superhero games. It's like, I felt like we could tell a distinct story. Um, and when I got signed off for that, I immediately wanted you on board because I knew you would see the same things I saw. And I think I was right about that. Yeah, well, we had been discussing around that time, I think before you got the sign-off on it, the possibility of doing a separate wrestling game. Yes, that's true, uh, right. And so we were thinking, you know, how do we combine what goes on in the ring with what goes on backstage? Mm -hmm. And I think the fundamental, I guess, centerpiece for a game like that would be something like, would you have separate character sheets? Would you have separate yep. traits for your in-ring persona? and your actual persona. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's something that ended up getting incorporated into NWE, mm -hmm. where you have your uh, ring persona or kayfabe persona, which only has four traits, if I recall. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's been a while since we've wrote it, admittedly, but I believe it's uh, limited to athletics, close combat, uh, integrity, and persuasion. Right. Off the top of my head. Uh, yep. But it, we designed a very fun and simple system for in-ring act action. 
uh, mm -hmm. based around the successes you roll being able to purchase certain moves uh, at different tiers uh, that could basically build toward a satisfying conclusion. And you could still have the idea of such a match being predetermined. It's just what are you going to get in uh, during that time and what uh, aspects of yourself will you build up through that performance? Uh, and then once you're out of the ring, you're basically playing your character as normal, whether they're a talent, whether they're a Nova or what have you. Um, combined with all of those uh, backstage issues you were just referencing, things like the drug problems, things like the mm -hmm. the stress of having to travel from arena to arena or never being able to see your family, the backstage competition between wrestlers, whether it's pranking or, or even hazing and bullying, and corporate uh, schemes that, that may screw over a bunch of performers, that kind of thing. And I think we managed to fit all of that in into a pretty condensed... A very small book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, we're, and I'm very excited for when it releases. I think that there's... Uh, I think I'm hopeful that a lot of people will see this and think, wow, that's actually a really good take on a wrestling RPG, regardless of whether they like Aberrant, and one would hope they do. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it stands on its own because we present both the NWE side, which is um, talents and some Novas performing, uh, mm. but on a sort of legitimate high production value um, scale. Uh, that That's the NWE, uh, not NWE, the WWE style. Uh, all the way through to Nova Combat, which is just Novas fighting in that uh, underground cage match, street fighter kind of way, yep. where yep. I think um, at one point you or one of the, I think it was you, wrote uh, uh, for Nova Combatants, the sky's the limit. No, really, some of the fights uh, take place high up in the <laughs> sky. Uh, <laughs> uh, how they film that kind of thing, I'm not sure. But maybe the audience will have a little bit Novatech. Yeah, Novatech. That, that's it. That's something quantum based. Something quantum. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... And it's interesting you mentioned Street Fighter because that was actually the, I think the other piece to help media convince Rich specifically was because I was like, this could be our Street Fighter homage. Yeah. Um, it's one of the White Wolf games that people bizarrely still love to this day. And <laughs> I was like, we're never going to get that license. Nor do I think we want that license because I don't know if I want to work with Capcom, but uh, um, it was like, here's a chance we can do something that feels a lot like it. And that was something when we talked about designing the system is that if your friends didn't show up for your aberrant game, you can just whip up wrestlers and throw them into a ring and have a fight. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the game comes with a whole bunch of uh, pre-written wrestlers as well, whether you want to play them or have them as your competitors. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the, we wanted to present an array of performers who were each in it for different reasons. So you have the natural performers who are doing it for the audience. You have the people who desperately need the money. You have the wrestlers mm -hmm. who are uh, who are addicted to drugs or are actual sadists uh, or, or indeed masochists, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you have the really pronounced gimmicks, like I think the, uh, the NWE champion in our book is the pharaoh who comes down with uh, his pharaonic headdress sort of painted gold that kind of thing 
and has a very he's a, clearly a heel with a name mm. like that and he will stand in the middle of the ring and say none of you are worthy of fighting me and so he'll walk off to booze from the crowd until a plucky underdog hero makes his face known and says i'll take you on and there's a hey you know we'll cheer the underdog even though the pharaoh's the best damn technician this this wrestling ring's ever seen that kind of thing um I did mention that we will mention Mantar. <laughs> right. And uh, there's so there's a lot to hate about mid 90s professional wrestling. And there's also a lot to love from that sort of, uh, I guess, what would you call it? Not nostalgic. Um, sh- I'm trying to think of the trying to think of the word. There was a certain amount of why the hell not uh, happened in the mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Kitsch. Kitsch is what I'm thinking. Kitsch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because in WWE, as an example, you had a performer. He wasn't widely known, uh, known as Mantar who would, who was billed basically as a minotaur. He would come down to the ring with a bull's head over his head. Oh, obviously a fake one. He would moo. Uh, he mm-hmm. would try and climb in through the ropes, but the horns would get hooked on. This was the premier <laughs> wrestling company in the world. And in the end, where, about a month after his debut, he would stop wearing the head and would just have makeup on his face that gave him sort of big eyebrows. And and he was bald, so there wasn't there wasn't much they could do about the horns with his hair. And he would just charge at people head first like he was a bull. Now... Mm. That's a dreadful gimmick among a lot of dreadful gimmicks around that time. But the excellent thing with NWE is what I, what I found is we've been able to create a sort of tier of wrestlers who are taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to create a tier of wrestlers who are gimmicky jobbers or just really a jobber for listeners is someone who is paid to do the job which it mm-hmm. which means to lose uh in a wrestling match and right. so if you're a, a i guess veteran jobber you are someone who loses over and over again you just turn up to be beaten to make someone else look good mm-hmm. uh it's a term that isn't always looked upon kindly within the wrestling industry uh, a more complimentary way of calling it is a carpenter because you are the person who makes the word the the match work because you've yeah. got to lose uh, wwe has been using enhancement talent lately yeah. which I actually do like um because yeah. the goal is to enhance other people and it's like that that, that is a very specific skill set yeah uh, but i think we've introduced enough to the game that you can have you can play a character like that and it can still be interesting because you mm-hmm. can still lose and your popularity goes up because you're getting coverage or because you cut a decent promo even if you perform poorly in the ring uh, and as our games with things like momentum and rewrites and inspiration have shown you can lose and lose and lose in order to eventually succeed with yep. greater flourish than you would have if you had won first time. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of key to any good wrestling storyline or TV storyline for that matter, let alone role-playing games. Right. And like, um, that's one of the things like in uh, uh, Nova combat, for example, if you're playing a Nova combat game, um, the illusion is that it is a relatively fair fight. Um, it is still prescripted, but, the, uh, like we were talking about earlier, is the AW style of, of this is meant to be a relatively serious 
uh, competition. So you get experience if you win and your opponent loses. Um, and that's just how it is. Whereas in NWE, it's to make a satisfying finish. Yeah. And if the person who's slated to win does a bad job of selling that finish, you as the loser manage to get more experience as a result. Hmm. Yeah, because you are the person who's acting like a professional. Yep. Uh, even if it's not what the fans necessarily want at this given time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but we, sh- we should speak. I know we've re- nearly hit the hour mark, but we should speak briefly on the subjects of other wrestling role-playing games because NWE and its predecessor aren't the only ones in the market. And no. one of the ones we've both enjoyed is Worldwide Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Which is a powered by the apocalypse game. Yep. Um, it's a very it's very simple as most powered by the apocalypse games are in the sense that you have your your skin essentially. You have very basic traits. You roll to pull off certain moves or uh, pull them off just about with a with essentially a complication or fail or botch catastrophically that kind of thing. Uh, but it's a really... I, I recommend it to anyone who is interested in a wrestling RPG, especially while they're waiting for NWE to come out, mm-hmm. because while it isn't terribly in-depth, it isn't doesn't go into as much setting depth as NWE. Uh, it provides the basic tools to run a one-shot or a short campaign of a wrestling game where you follow a, a single story arc as a particular type of wrestler so as an example i've been playing a uh, www um, game recently as a monster heel a monster heel to listeners is someone like the undertaker i guess Mm -hmm. or the giant or andre the giant someone who is who isn't hired to cut a promo. They're not hired to look good. They're hired to tear people apart, have very short matches, and look impressive in some way. And I'm playing Mm -hmm. one in a 1980s-themed game uh, who is the who is Ivan... uh, Is it Ivan? No, Vlad the Cossack. Uh, Yeah, Karlov the Cossack, that's it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vladimir Karlov. He's actually from South Dakota. And as it's the 1980s, there's Cold War tension, so he is the sort of evil foreigner gimmick. He doesn't cut promos in English, he just sort of spouts gibberish in Russian. Mm-hmm. And his finishing move is the Siberian squeeze, which is a head squeeze uh, move. Very simple, <laughs> anyone can do it, uh, which is good because he can't do much else. <laughs> um <laughs> And it, it's just, it's been great fun. It's been great fun to play this uh, WWE game, which is very rules light. Uh, the setting is all in the head of the GM and the players. And you get to do fun things like uh, invent gimmick matches. If you roll a certain amount on a certain uh, objective that you're going for, uh, well, I unlocked a move for my character that allows me to come up with a gimmick match once. And so as I was cutting a very poor promo against my opponent, I decided to activate this because my audience rating had got to a certain level or some such, where Mm -hmm. I basically said... um, I'm calling I'm I am calling you out for Siberian Gulag Deathmatch. <laughs> at, at which point the GM has to come up with what a Siberian Gulag Deathmatch entails. Right. Uh, which is also fun watching them scrabble. Uh, 
for <laughs> to react, which I think a lot of Power by the Apocalypse games do. And that's one of the things that I I, I think Power by the Apocalypse particularly well with wrestling for formats because, like I said, it is everyone's kind of improving a bit, which feels a lot like how wrestling actually works. Um, but also, uh, uh, there are playbooks, which, like I said, are basically gimmicks. And because, frankly, a lot of wrestling personalities fall into very distinct archetypes, and yeah. the game recognizes that. Uh, but also, um, Power by the Apocalypse, uh, you can only do certain moves. Um, and here I'm talking about uh, in the game sense, not in the wrestling sense. Uh, uh, so as a player in certain circumstances, there are certain things you can respond with. And as a game master, I can only respond with certain things, um, which again, recognizes the gimmicks of, right? Like there's no reality where if two wrestlers have a professional disagreement, they settle it by bringing lawyers in and having contract disputes. They settle it in the ring. And that may also involve a contract hanging on a pole or something. Um, but that's how you handle legal disputes in the wrestling world. You do it in the ring. And so Power by Apocalypse doesn't even give you the option. It's like, no, you are going to settle this in the ring. But how you do it and what kind of gimmick you use and all that, you do have control over. So I think it's really great by – does that by constraining options and uh, uh, allowing that kind of improv creativity. It, it, I did run a short game of it. Um, I, I ran – mine was uh, – modern day but it was a small uh indie fed in ohio that had like 20 people show up in a gymnasium kind of thing mm. um and uh it was a ton of fun because there were players generally going why am i risking myself for you know grandma in a folding chair kind of thing and it's like that's just kind of like the wrestlers would ask themselves so it it, it, it was it it, I, it is definitely um one of the games i recommend to people and ask me for uh, a tabletop wrestling game um but there are others there are others there are others and in fact you worked on one of them if i recall yes um i worked on know your role uh which was the w- official wwe tabletop d20 game yeah uh, because that was done in the day when everything was d20 uh and someone's like role-playing game know your role that's what rock says ha, that's funny um <laughs> But uh, it was it was it's genuinely an interesting project to work on. Uh, I think the game is really solid. Um, it's kind of a shame that you can't get it anymore because it's such a decent game. It, although it's definitely the uh, wrestling of, of the matches are very much real and uh, the theatric theatric secondary to the genuine contest. Um, so it was not quite at that stage of our culture where we fully recognized wrestling as being uh, fixed. Yeah, um, but. The reason why I groaned way back at the beginning of the episode about superstars was because um, being a licensed product, everything had to go through WWE legal. And one of the things they came back was is all of our references to a wrestler had to be changed to superstar. And every time we mentioned the wrestler's name, we had to put a TM by their name because they were trademarks owned by the WWE. <laughs> so when I had written sections like Eddie Guerrero wrestled, wrestled uh, Juventud Guerrero and blah, blah, I had to put Eddie Guerrero TM superstar um, was in a conflict with Juventud Guerrero TM, yeah. um, you know, and it, it made the game look really ugly to my opinion, mm. but that was what legal required. And we're not going to say no to WWE. So I was like, all right, I guess this is what we're doing. I've not, I've not played it myself. I have to confess. I have been told by someone who has that it's a very easy game to, to cheat 
essentially. Yes. Uh, I guess much like many, much like D&D third edition, if you pick the right feats, you become unstoppable. Someone was yeah. saying something along the lines of you can just keep getting keep catching someone in a pile driver and just keep slamming their head into the mat <laughs> from the very start of a match or something like that and just uh, juggle it. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, there, there we did have um, a heat mechanic where you generate heat and spend those to do certain moves. And mm. so if you did that, you would not be generating heat anymore. But like all D20 games, uh, if you look at it long enough and play it hard enough, eventually you'll find certain optimal strategies. That means you don't need that ancillary uh, resource to be able to move forward. Oh, yeah. I um, mean, I, so. I'd say the same thing about pretty much any game. There are always yeah. uh, A tier, B tier, and C tier skills. Uh, I mean, we've tried to do a good job with story path, uh, with making the skills only the kind of skills that are going to see use, and mm -hmm. rolling those C tier skills into the others. Uh, yep. But if I think of, obviously, I love the World of Darkness a great deal. I love Chronicles of Darkness, but storyteller and storytelling still have skills like finance, and they they will have three different versions of persuasion instead. Uh, you know, in the form of subterfuge, persuasion, intimidation. They may even have leadership. They may even have seduction. Mm -hmm. And it's because if you load everything up into one skill, that skill be suddenly becomes hugely overpowered. But if you make it too granular at that level, then you've got to start looking at other skills that can be broken down, like, I don't know, athletics, where in some games you'll have athletics, dodge, acrobatics, gymnastics, <laughs> running, right. climbing, swimming, and and use rope, which was a skill in 3rd edition D&D. Oh my god, yeah. Um, and innuendo, innuendo was my favourite D&D 3rd edition skill, uh, because I don't think I ever saw anyone use it and I still can't really think of an adequate reason to ever do so. <laughs> or, or, or similarly, um, when's the last time you ever made a charisma saving throw? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, exactly. I, I had to think <laughs> for. Uh... <laughs> there are classes that get bonuses to charisma saving throws. I'm like, cool. When does that ever come up? Yeah. Um, but that's actually. I remember when we uh, talked about the design for NWE. Was I? Uh, um, yeah, we boiled down the four skills because there's really only four things you do in a wrestling match. Yeah. Um, but even then, I remember we had a long talk to make sure that athletics wasn't going to be the obvious coach's skill at all times because, like, well, it's a physical conflict. Obviously, athletics is a skill I want. Mm. Um, and so we, we tr I tried to balance it so that way uh, we could do things like having a promo gives you a distinct benefit and being charismatic was, was valuable. Um, so you get that kind of persuasion skill. Uh, and stuff like that. So it was. Um, so I, I was I was receptive of that. But I mean, yeah, especially when you're looking at a a very targeted um, thing like professional wrestling. If you do something in the classic design mold like D20, naturally certain skills are going to be extremely uh, over useful. Um, so I I I'm not proud of the game in the sense of in long term play. It absolutely breaks down. Because that's D20. I think D20 is a general. That's what happens. Yeah. Well, and, um, and any other generic system like that. Right. But in terms of just uh, uh, making a game that most people hadn't seen before and a license no one would have expected, um, I don't believe it's sold very well, but uh, it was it was a fun product. And it's a kind of thing that for a long time in my career, I would say I worked on WWE role-playing game. People go, well, tell me about that. Because it's like, yeah. that's not a, a phrase you hear very often. But there was an official one actually before that. 
uh, that I've, I've seen and I've read them or played, uh, but it was done like early nineties. Huh. Um, I had no it, idea. It is very late eighties game design um, in the sense that you have a table of moves. And if you want to make a specific move, you have to check cross-reference it against your skills and you have a percentage chance to accomplish okay. that move. And if you fail to accomplish that move, then you hurt yourself. And if you succeed, then you do damage to your opponents. And there was actually a, a, a mat and with squares on it, so you moved miniatures oh, around. Oh wow! Okay, in the wrestling yeah, I ring. see. I was picture, picturing a leading edge games, Phoenix Dawn Command style game where yeah. you said eighties game design. Where yeah, it's, okay, it, it well was, let's reference this I, table. I, for I, how I kind much of want to play it, but it's also it's again really good. hard. License games is really hard yeah. to get a hold of. So getting a hold of it, <laughs> um, but uh, it's 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 definitely a, a different time in terms of design. Mm. Well. Uh, we've been going on for a long time, and I haven't given one professional wrestler impression during this entire podcast. I am, I am impressed at your restraint. Yeah, and you know what? I will. I'll keep it that way. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll save them for when Dixie's back on because I know she'll appreciate right. it. She 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 does really enjoy them. Yeah, I should say uh, actually. Uh, I mentioned I told Eddie and the rest of the Monday meeting crew at Onyx Path this uh, the other day, but I was on the phone to UPS about a package that I sent, and I <laughs> yes. I was speaking to a resurrected uh, macho man, Randy Savage, or he has faked his death to live the glamorous life of someone who works in imports exports, uh, because he uh, was he literally said. This is UPS, uh-huh. <laughs> How can I help you, Mr. Dawkins? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to track a package which hadn't moved on their website for some time. That looks like it's held in impound, yeah. It might be getting checked for customs and duty, uh-huh. Dig it! Uh, it wasn't quite... That extreme. There were no diggits. There were no. Oh yeah, Miss Elizabeth. Uh, if if uh, if he had started saying, "I understand you're sending a package to Miss Elizabeth," you <laughs> rubbed me the wrong way, Mister Dawkins. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, if that had happened, I would have been convinced it was Randy Savage. But I was just getting a loss of yeah, and uh-huh. and in in that deep gravelly, unmistakable uh, first name, macho, last name, and yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Speaking of which, have you, heard, have you heard his themes? No, it seems like the, the, he had a record? Yes, I have heard his rap album. Oh, wow. I, it, I heard this recently. It was, oh my god, that is a whole thing. It isn't actually that bad. Uh, no. His, because his voice is so unique, which I know is a horrible term, so unique. Because his voice is unique, uh, it does give it a William Shatner, Tom right. Waits. Uh, it, it's, it is its own thing. And right. so it's a cross between rap, spoken word, and your mileage may vary. But it's I thought it was pretty good, to be honest. Uh, I was a bit sad he didn't do more because uh, I felt like there was there were more depths to plumb. I, I, I listened to it and it's like one thing like, I'm with you in the sense of I don't know if I would like seek this out on a regular basis. <laughs> no, probably But not. when I was listening to it, I was like, this is weirdly compelling because I, I, again, I think it's, it, you know, he's a man who was known for his voice um, and he's 
his job requires him to put energy into sometimes the most ridiculous things to say. Um, and so it's like the stuff he's saying is nonsense, but that's not unusual for Randy Savage. So I'm kind of okay with this right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree. Uh, it, uh, so now we're doing our testimony to, uh, to the skill of Randy Savage, uh, dearly departed. Uh, great, great Randy Savage. Yeah. There, there's been a lot of excellent music. Well, I say excellent. There's been a lot of music that's emerged <laughs> from, from the wrestling world. Uh, of course the rock was in, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. which was, was that, was that Wyclef that he did that with? Maybe. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, all I remember the lyrics The lyrics from that were, I've got 20 Bentleys in the West Indies. It doesn't matter. Uh, and that was basically The Rock's contribution to that song. Right. We, we had the WWE in the early, or in the late 80s, released a music by the WWE or WWF album, which had songs uh, sung by uh, Rick Martel and Tito Santana as Strike Force, Girls in Cars was their song. Had a song by Mean Gene Oakland on it. Uh, it had, <laughs> it had. I'm trying to think that. Uh, I think that may have been the album that introduced Demolitions song uh, by Jim Johnson, which was one of the best early, well, one of the best 80s uh, pieces. So I, I, I've taken Dixie's role and I've done the Googling. Um, there's Land of a Thousand Dances, which is done by a whole bunch of wrestlers. There's yeah. Grab Them Cakes by Junkyard Dog. Yeah. Uh, of course, Real American. Yeah. Um, Eat well, Your Heart Out Rings Speak Field by Jimmy Hart. Well, I can, I can imagine Jimmy Hart was a musician on a lot of them as well. He is actually quite a talented musician. He is. Um, Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield by Jimmy Hart. Uh, Captain Lou's History of Music by Captain Lou Albano. Uh, For Everybody, or Roddy Piper. Uh, Tutti Fruity by Gene Oakland, which I do remember. Dreadful song. Uh, it was uh, Don't Go Mess With a Country Boy by Hillbilly Jim. And Cara Mia by Nikolai Volkov. Well, there must have been another one then. Because Either was it. There was a second one. Oh, okay. Was this the Pile Driver album? I'm trying to think now. WWF Pile Driver. <laughs> No, Pile Driver was the second one. Yes, because there was a song sung by a lot of WWF superstars, which was Pile Driver, uh, and it was strange. <laughs> strange. Uh, Pile Driver, um, yeah, yeah, Robert Dupree and Strike Force, Girls in Cars, Coco Beware's Pile Driver, Honky Tonk Man singing the Honky Tonk Man. He's the Honky Tonk um, Man. Derringer sang Demolition, uh, Slicks and That's it, Rick Derringer did Demolition, not Jim Johnson. Um, but yeah, wow. Um, uh, but, then, but then, of course, yeah, I mean, also, um, we haven't talked about uh, Fozzie, uh, which is Chris Jericho's rock band, legitimate I'm, rock band. Yeah, I, I'm perfectly happy not to talk about Chris <laughs> Jericho's rock band. And it's um, COVID super spreader party <laughs> last yeah, year. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah there's also other music <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so there we are they are entertainers they're not wrestlers Vince McMahon was right all along oh um I know we're running long but uh, I, I do think there's something we should do for parody um when Dixie and I were in an episode we spent time talking about baseball I think you and I should at least be a moment talking about our equivalent which is journey of wrestling Yes, yes. Uh, so Journey of Wrestling is uh, like a management simulator. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, which is played via a browser. And you set up your own wrestling, uh, I guess, company or take over one uh, at a certain point in history. Lots of people have set up existing, uh, well, let's say WWE or AEW circa 2021 or WWF Mm. in the mid-90s in a storyline called The Decline of Wrestling. And you can take on different companies at this time. They'll be populated by the wrestlers who are on the rosters at that time. And the purpose of Journey of Wrestling is to basically book matches, story angles, arcs, sign wrestlers, let wrestlers go, and so on, uh, to make your company thrive and succeed. And so there's an element of emulating history, changing history to what you're doing in it. Storylines might come up that are from wrestling as we know it, but you Mm -hmm. can introduce new ones too. If you wanted that a clash in 1998 between Ultimo Dragon and Steve Austin that we never got to see because Ultimo Dragon was in WCW. Well, now mm. you can sign him away from WCW if the price is right. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. The artwork in it's uh, excellent as well. It's really simple pixel art representing all of the wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, the algorithm behind it that awards your matches, ratings, and your wrestlers boosts to certain traits is nicely simple but effective. And I think the best thing about it is it is constantly being updated. And I've yet to see an update. I I always dive back into it on a weekly basis because it's nice and simple. And I tend now to run a show every week and then just forget about it for the rest of the week. Um, Mm -hmm. But every single time I go back, there's something new, uh, whether it's features towards uh, setting up factions in your wrestling organization. So you're not just limited to singles and tag teams. You can now have uh, four-person, three-person factions. You can also utilize managers effectively now. You can have special guest referees. So the more it expands, the more like wrestling it becomes. And it's just, you, you've got a free version and a low-cost version, which enables you to unlock all the premium features, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is very much worth it because there is a huge number of features that can be played with. But yeah, and um, yeah. Uh, 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 you can make your own stuff too. Um, like one of the... Uh, Story mode slash tutorials um, is uh, you're you're playing superheroes on Mars, well, not superheroes, but like super, uh, genetically enhanced uh, characters, and you have a Mars Wrestling Federation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, that was genuinely fun. But as like at one point when I thought I had free time, uh, it was right before COVID hit, actually, or right around the time COVID hit, because I thought I had more free time. Um, I was like, I may actually put NWE into Journey of Wrestling and just play with it. Um, I did not do that. Uh, um, I may still. I don't know. Well, um, listeners, if you're listening to this point and you want to see NWE and Journey of Wrestling, given that anyone could add any wrestling federation to it, let us know. Um, yeah, in, we'll play. On the Discord, in the comments on this blog. Because, yeah, we can play it. We could probably do an actual play of it. Uh, you can stream, you know, from oh, a yeah. server screen pretty effectively. Or we'll just set the federation up for people to play with once NWE comes out. So you can take the wrestlers from the book and uh, put them into uh, Journey of Wrestling. There you go. Yeah, play with your own league management style. That's That's a good place to wrap it up. Yeah. So, Eddie, if they want to find you online, brother, where would they go to find you? (laughs) Um, you can find me online through pugsteady.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at pugsteady. And they can find me online at matthewdawkins.com on Twitter as DawkinsMP. 
Uh, they can find Dixie online at DixieCochran.com or Dixie Cyanide, like the poison, on most social media. <laughs> there you go. And you can find us on TheOnyxPath.com, on the Onyx Path Discord, on the Onyx Path Forum. Wherever Onyx Path rears its head, you will find us. And do, if you join the Onyx Path Discord, tune in on the Pathcast sub-channel on there. We love to hear from you. And if you've got ideas for episodes, please suggest them. We are always happy to receive your thoughts. And occasionally I'll drop uh, really bad dubstep mixes into the channel. Yeah, let's not do that again. <laughs> and with that said, many worlds, one path cuts.